everybody tonight. Um, I know we've had some weather issues here uh, in uh, Jefferson County area, and uh, so those joining us uh, on the internet, we apologize for getting started a few minutes late, but uh, everybody's trying to get in and get established, so uh, good things. Everybody blessed? Everybody good? Um, man, we had some heavy, heavy rains here, and uh, I was driving in some of that uh, earlier today, so uh, anyway, good things coming. Praise God. All right, so um, uh, for some reason I'm having a hard time keeping up with numbers this, this year, so this is class number seven, class number seven, and um, so I've had some people ask me, they said, well, look, you know, is it, is it too late to, um, to start, can, you know, if we start tonight, can we not get a certificate, that sort of thing? Um, first of all, the most important thing is you coming to this class, okay? And, and, and when I say come to this class, letting the Lord speak into your life the truth that He wants to speak into your life during this class, okay? So that's, that's of the most important thing for me, okay? Now, if the certificate is like a really, really big deal to you and, and you're concerned about missing six, come see me on an individual basis because we are recording them. Um, there's opportunity for you to make up a class, that sort of thing. But um, uh, again, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, okay? All right, amen. Let's pray uh, tonight. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the things that you have prepared for us. Thank you, Father, for all of this technology that you've blessed us with and that we're trying our best to take advantage of tonight. I pray that your anointing, Lord, would be just as strong, uh, Lord, on someone listening to this class three weeks from tonight, Lord, as it is upon those who are right here uh, with us in the room. And we thank you, Father, uh, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he is our teacher. Uh, we submit ourselves to him and to his leadership tonight. Because Jesus, you said He would take us and lead us and guide us into all truth. And you said your truth is what would set us free uh, to be your disciples indeed and fulfill the purpose and destiny that you have for each one of our lives. Thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you, Father, for uh, opening our hearts and, and, and opening our understanding uh, to your wisdom and your truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. Praise God. All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, open them with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And um, we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. John chapter 3, verse number 1. I've actually taken all my notes that I would normally review from, and I've moved them to the back of the stack. Somebody asked me what page notes we're on. We're on page 16, okay? <laughs> page 16, so we've been creeping along through this. Uh, so um, if you uh, desire review or we're not here last week, um, we have audio recording, video recording of the classes. And uh, we're going to do our best to dive in. Uh, here at John uh, chapter 3. I will say this, we've been looking at you know, a better understanding of what discipleship really is, and, and in the course of that, we've looked at, at why discipleship is. In other words, what is God's purpose? Discipleship is God's thing, uh, and so what is Father desiring to accomplish or produce uh, in us through His process of discipleship? And one of the things, of course, that we've been looking at here of late is that discipleship is the bridge that carries you from the new birth, into the fulfillment of your destiny. In other words, God created each and every one of us for an eternal purpose, and the Bible says He gave you grace and purpose in Christ before the world began. Um, so you're created with intent, with intention. Um, you're not just the, the random luck of some genetic draw. You are who you are on purpose, you are when you are on purpose, and I believe tonight you're where you are uh, on purpose so that God's purposes can prosper um, in our hands. Amen? So we are that nation of priests, uh, amen, that God always looked for and He always desired to have. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
um, a special people, amen, to Him, uh, for Him, unto Him, and for His purposes. Now, John chapter 3 is um, a very important uh, chapter in the Word of God. Um, the Gospel of John is different from the other three Gospels. Um, it is the outlier, if you will, of the four Gospels. If you've read all four of them, you know it reads differently. Um, and I think that's for, of course, again, you know, strategically, because the Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately inspired these words to be written. But it's also, we see that John was the closest to Jesus of the disciples. And, um, and so because of that, he had a little different perspective, and we see that perspective um, in his writings about Jesus and the life of Jesus. What we also have in the Gospel of John is the uh, conversation that Jesus had with a religious leader named Nicodemus, and that's contained here in John the third chapter. This uh, particular conversation was not recorded in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's only recorded in John chapter 3. Now, one of the things that we ended last class with was where Jesus prayed in John the 17th chapter that we would not be taken out of the world, um, even though we're not of this world, we're not from this world, our citizenship is heaven, but He prayed that Father would protect us and keep us while we were here because we have an assignment, we have a job, we have a purpose and a destiny to fulfill. And we said as that purpose relates to the world, some people, uh, members, born-again people in the body of Christ, they're, they're, they only look at their salvation as a means of escaping the world, while others are trying to figure out how to be like the world and change the world at the same time. But Jesus left us here not to be like the world, but to literally change the world. Amen? To make a difference in this world. Now, we see one of the problems, one of the challenges that we deal with is that there is constant pressure being applied to us from the world that we live amongst. Amen? That we live among. Uh, to think like, speak like, and act like them. Um, but we're not going to be conformed to this world, Romans 12, but we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? Alright, so we're here to change the world. Not to be influenced by the world, but to influence the world. Not to have the world change us, not to have the world shape us, but we're here to shape and change this world to the glory of our Creator Father. Amen. Alright, so let's talk about that as it pertains to John chapter 3. Let's begin at verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, I'm going to just kind of walk you through this. We may not get through all of the verses in John chapter 3 tonight. I went ahead and wrote some things on the board that I hope we get to, but if we don't, we don't. Amen. Um, let me just kind of help you understand what's going on here. Um, when it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, there were three we might use the word denominations, or at least that might be the way we would better understand it. Three uh, sects, S-E-C-T-S, of Judaism, primarily. And those um, three divisions were the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes. Okay? Now, John the Baptist was aligned with the Essenes, um, so they were kind of the more, for lack of a better word, fanatical branch <laughs> of Judaism. Um, Sadducees, uh, they were the wealthy members of Judaism. And the one thing about the Sadducees is that they did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in miracles and casting out of demons and these kinds of things. Somewhere in between those two positions, you had men that fell into this category of Pharisees. Pharisees, like many movements, began with a simple uh, uh, mission 
And that was to take the Word of God and make it available to the common man. Right? What they recognized as religious leaders is that you know, in those days most people were not educated and so they had no way of really benefiting from God's Word unless someone would explain God's Word to them. And so that was basically the, the, the driving force behind at least the beginning of this movement that later been, became known as Phariseeism. Okay? Now, of course, by the time Jesus arrived, the true heart of the movement, I think, had been lost. But the Pharisees did believe in miracles. They did believe in resurrection from the dead with this one caveat as long as it was within a three-day window. This is a clue as to why Jesus waited until the fourth day to raise Lazarus from the dead. Because he wanted to show that even though they believed in resurrection, they believed that after the fourth day had passed, or fourth day had come, rather, that it was impossible. That's why Jesus said, with God all things are possible, even the resurrection of the dead after that three-day window. All right, so you still with me? I'm going too fast on all this. I'm trying to give you a little background on this guy named Nicodemus and really what all he put on the line to have the conversation that he had with Jesus on this particular day. So, um, the, uh, by the time Jesus came along, Pharisees had uh, you know, basically become very legalistic, very judgmental, um, as basically uh, religions do. Okay? And um, Christianity, by the way, is not a religion. It's a relationship with um, our Creator Father and, and His Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All three God. So, when Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This, this man would have been among the most highly educated and most powerful people in, 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 all, of his, uh, in, in all of Israel. Um, he would have been very respected. Um, these men were educated not just in biblical things, they were educated in legal things, they were edu- educated in even medical things. Um, and so highly educated, very powerful, um, very influential. So when it, it says that he was a ruler, Again, that was the way he was uh, viewed, the respect that he was given. And this, of course, would have been something that he would have been set apart as a, as a young child, young man, and he would have been groomed and trained for this uh, for many, many, many years uh, to, to have this position uh, amongst his people. And so he came to Jesus, uh, verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so let's just make a few comments on verse 2. He came at night because he was sneaking around. And he was sneaking around because um, threats had already been made um, against people who believed in Jesus, who followed Jesus, who allied themselves, aligned themselves with Jesus. Um, that they would be basically dismissed. They would be put out of the synagogue. They, they would, uh, you know, uh, defrocked, in other words. So for Nicodemus to come to Jesus, um, he, he was risking basically everything. Um, but there was such a curiosity in him that, um, that it was, I believe, something that was basically irresistible for him. So he comes at night to have this conversation with Jesus. Now, he begins by showing Jesus respect and referring to him as a rabbi. And he says, we know. Now, now, he could just simply be saying we and only mean himself. But what what we know, all of us know, is that there were other religious leaders in Judaism that were also not just curious about Jesus, but were beginning to believe that he was indeed the Messiah. 
And so, although Nicodemus came along, when he says we know, this to me implies that there was perhaps um, a, a group of, of religious leaders and he became the spokesman who came on behalf of all of them. So he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now let's stop right here. Um, many of the religious leaders were now saying that Jesus was doing what he was doing, the miracles that he was performing, that he was performing them by the power of the devil or by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. So Jesus was performing miracles that were undeniable miracles. In other words, you can't just say, well, you know, he brought that guy in from three cities away and the guy really wasn't blind, it was just all a show. No, these were people that they knew were crippled. These were people that they knew were blind. These were people that they knew were dead. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? And so you can't say that it wasn't a miracle um, and have any legitimacy. You, you can't say Jesus isn't performing miracles, you know, because he clearly was performing miracles. So they had to come up with another explanation. And their explanation, for the most part, was, well, these are miracles that are being performed by the devil, by Satan. Okay? Well, we've already learned Jesus came to do what? Destroy the works of the devil, not do the works of the devil. And so when he was healing blind people, he was destroying not a work of God, but a work of the devil. So we've got to give Nicodemus and any faction that he represented a little credit here. Uh, for intellectual integrity. Are you understand? You understand intellectual integrity, right? So, they're, uh, in other words, they've seen things that are undeniable, and they're recognizing that he must be a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In other words, they come to this simple conclusion. We believe in the supernatural. I don't know if they've ever seen anything supernatural. They've certainly read about supernatural things in the Old Testament. But now they've got somebody living, breathing among them who is doing supernatural things. And they're very interested. Nicodemus, at least, is very interested. He's very curious. Because, again, let's go back to what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee is someone who has a heart for the common man. He has a heart for people who are hurting and suffering. And just because all of them have become judgmental and condescending and, and full of themselves, that doesn't mean they all were. And I believe that Nicodemus had a good heart based upon him risking all that he risked to come to Jesus to have this conversation. And so, notice though, you know, he, he does the, the niceties, he, he introduces the, you know, himself, they, he, he shows him respect, uh, so forth and so on. But then he kind of gets to it. No one can do the miracles, the signs that you do, unless God is with him. So, what then, based upon, you know, just these two verses, you know, what was it that really drew Nicodemus there? Certainly Jesus was a profound teacher. Um, certainly it was said of Him, even of His enemies, that no one ever spoke like Jesus spoke. But notice Nicodemus didn't say, Jesus, I'm here today because You're the best teacher I've ever heard. I'm here today because You said some things the other day that really opened up my understanding. No, no, none of that. It was the miracles. He was seeing supernatural signs and wonders. And he says, you have to be from God. Now, <clears throat> let me, if I could please... If I could please, and I, I know the Bible says don't add anything to or take away, but one of the things that I want to encourage you to do, and I think I've mentioned this already, when you study these things, the Holy Spirit was there, and He now lives in you. The Holy Spirit was there when this happened, when this conversation took place, and the Holy Spirit loves to come alongside your mind, your thoughts, your imagination. 
When you begin to try to wrap your mind around something, right? Now, I have uh, different portions of Scripture. I have so meditated, so thought about, so memorized, so taught from so many times that it's almost as if I have a mental image inside of myself. Now, you say, Pastor Mark, how do you know? I mean, I, I picture them sitting at a table. I, they could have been standing, they could have been reclining, they could have been whatever. I, for some reason, I believe they were sitting at a table. You have to believe that to go to heaven, all right? But the point I'm trying to make is, as you do that, the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal things to you, okay? The Holy Spirit will begin to show you things. And so what I believe the Holy Spirit showed me was that this was basically the question Nicodemus was trying to ask. How are you doing it, Jesus? How are you doing this? How, how are you pulling this off? He didn't know if he was a prophet. Notice he didn't call him a prophet. Their Bible taught them that prophets did these things. Okay, Prophets performed miracles because that was part of the measure of God's Spirit on them that empowered them to do miracles. He wasn't sure if he was a prophet. He didn't call him a prophet. He called him a rabbi, right? But he's like, look, rabbi, we know you're from God because of what you're doing. Okay, Now, Jesus answered and said to him, verse 3, most assuredly, now what's our rule about most assuredly or verily, verily? Anytime you read this, Jesus is fixing to tell you something that's going to potentially blow your mind. He's fixing to tell you something that's not going to seem correct. He's going to tell you something that's going to seem way out. So brace yourself, because most assuredly it's true, even though if your mind even doesn't know what to do with it yet, your heart does, okay? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, again, put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes for a moment. He didn't ask anything about born again. He didn't ask anything about kingdom of God. He, it's almost as if, listen to me now, it's almost as if Nicodemus is having one conversation and Jesus is having another one. Okay? But again, you've got to realize that Jesus knew what was in this man's heart. Let me say it another way, and I hope this helps somebody here tonight. Father God knows how to answer the questions you don't even know how to ask. He has answers for questions you hadn't figured out how to ask yet. Okay? Are you following me? Praise God. I'm not trying to embarrass my sister Stevie, but she made some really good points in, in our class this morning with the ladies. And I was thinking about that because, you know, you were saying things, but it's like, i got questions, but I'm not even sure how to ask the questions, but I think I'm seeing the answer to a question I'm not sure how to ask, and is this right, Pastor Mark? And that's kind of how the, the tone of that conversation that we had with all the ladies in class this morning. So Nicodemus is just kind of wading off into this. He's kind of feeling Jesus out, right? Um, and Jesus just comes straight out with the answer. What's the question he's asking? He's asking about the miracles. Jesus says... Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now see, I'm wondering if this point, again, <laughs> back to my vivid imagination, okay? And I, I believe Holy Spirit-inspired imagination. I believe Nicodemus almost cut and run right here. I believe the devil in Nicodemus's mind, says something like this, you were told this man is crazy, and now you have the proof. You were told this man was demon-possessed, 
And now you ask him about miracles, and he talks about being born of your mother a second time. Jesus didn't say born of your mother, but that's the filter through which Nicodemus heard what Jesus said, right? Because notice Nicodemus is like, you know, how can a man, when he's full grown, go back inside his mother's womb and be born a second time? Okay? Now notice what Jesus just did. Any, inspiring, any aspiring counselor in here, notice what Jesus just did. Jesus just directed Nicodemus down the path that he wanted him to go, that Nicodemus needed to go, by simply making a statement to him, which caused Nicodemus now to ask another question. Right? Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, okay, straight up, I'm telling you the truth here, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Notice the first time Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see it. Now he's saying, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter into it. All right. So Jesus didn't back down. He, pardon the gambling expression, he doubled down. He, he didn't like, oh, okay, you, I'm, I'm sorry, Nicodemus. What, I, I was just thinking about something I was going to talk about to some people tomorrow. What were you asking me again? I, I was distracted. No, no. He's like, no, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. So he's not just talking about seeing it. Now he's talking about entering into it and becoming a part of it. Okay? Now, I know that a lot of people teach a lot of things from these verses, and, that, and that's okay. As we've often said in here, and we'll continue to say, there's, there can be multiple meanings, and, and God can say many things through one verse. But let's not miss the most basic and obvious meaning before we start digging into the deeper ones. And so when it says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. Being born of water is speaking of a physical birth. Speaking of a physical birth, being born of the Spirit is the second birth Jesus was talking about, and this would be what it means to be born a second time or to be born again. So obviously you've got to be born physically to become a candidate <laughs> Uh, for it to be possible for you to be born a second time and be born spiritually. Now, let's go back, though, to Nicodemus' confusion and why he was confused. Nicodemus was doing what so many people do, what so many even born-again people do. He was looking at everything through the lens of the flesh. He was looking at everything through the lens of the natural or the physical. Okay? Yes, sir. You're on it. Okay? So... Well, yes and no, you're on it. Let me, let me keep going. You'll see what I'm talking about. All right. Because Jesus is about to say he should be able to understand these things. All right. Because even though he wasn't born again, he understood spiritual things. In other words, he understood when Elisha told that widow to take a can of oil that just had a little bit of oil in it and fill up every Tupperware bowl, every butter dish, every bucket she could borrow from all of her neighbors, that that was something spiritual 
that, that was some, there was more to it that met the eye. There's more going on here than our physical senses can discern. Okay? So, Nicodemus is looking at everything from a physical perspective, and so because he's trying to process it that way, he's trying to understand how someone can be born a second time physically. Jesus is not talking about being born a second time physically, one time physically, then again the second time, but this time spiritually. Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one, verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus is talking about two fundamental categories of things here. Things that fall into the category of flesh, and things that fall into the category of spirit. Amen? We become highly trained, highly developed, very familiar with, very accustomed to, very conditioned by the things of the flesh, but sometimes very confused, um, very disconnected, um, very uninfluenced by the things of the Spirit. Ignorant of the things of the Spirit. And see, here's the problem. You can't understand the things of the Spirit by looking at them through the things of the flesh. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? In other words, it's, it's a completely different category. Not only is it a completely different category, it is a category things of the Spirit are superior to, higher than things of the flesh. Okay? As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11 says it this way, everything you can see, physical, visible, right, came from a place you cannot see, spiritual, invisible. Okay? Now, if two things are real, it's hard for one to be more real than the other. But in this case, spirit things are more real than physical things only because everything you can see came from the world you can't. Physical can't give birth to spiritual, but spiritual can give birth to physical. So things that are physical there, things that are physical in nature, oh, sweet Jesus, get a hold of this. The Bible says they are temporal. Jerry Savelle said it this way, if something is temporary, that means it's subject to change. Now, why is that important? Well, you can be dealing with something tonight that is uh, factual and physical, but because it's physical, there's power in the realm of the Spirit to change it. That's why it's subject to change. Even if man says it's impossible to change, with God all things are possible. Faith connects us to the realm of the Spirit where nothing's impossible where God is able to do all things. Are you following me? So this is why when we're talking about things that are physical in nature, those things can be factual, a fact, but not the truth. And the difference between truth and fact is a fact can change, the truth never changes. It's a fact that it was raining today. It may not be raining tomorrow. Are you following what I'm saying? So the, 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 the facts then deal with the moment. Spiritual deals with eternal. Things that are physical are temporal. Things that are spiritual are eternal. So the eternal things of the Spirit can change the temporary things of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah! That's good news right there. That's very good news. Okay, now... So he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Let me, I, I, I need to move on, but I can't move on yet. One of, the, one of the huge, 
huge steps forward for all of us is when we're able to discern the difference. We're able to recognize the difference between something that's physical and something that's spiritual. Amen. Faith is spiritual. Emotions, are you, you understand what I'm saying? Emotions are subject to change, are they not? That's why we, we can't base our faith on emotions. Can't do that, right? We talk a lot in the morning classes I teach. The evidence, physical circumstances around you, those evidence, that evidence will produce emotions, and emotions do what? They determine our decisions. We don't walk by faith. I'm, I'm sorry, we, do, we don't walk by faith. By, <laughs> we do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. What does that mean? Walking by sight is when you align your thoughts, words, and actions with the way things look, seem, and feel. The way things look, seem, and feel is temporary. It's physical. It's subject to change. It's a fact. Truth doesn't change. Faith aligns itself with the truth no matter what the circumstances around you are telling you. Okay? Alright. So, Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you underline things, highlight things in your Bible, please underline. If you want to, you can just get, take like a can of spray highlighter and just... But... But somehow, that phrase, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay? And the reason that's so important is because anybody in here born of the Spirit, if you're born again, you're born of the Spirit. So Jesus just included you and me in this conversation with Nicodemus. Let me say it another way. He's talking about you now. He's talking about you and me now if you've been born of the Spirit. So again, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now this is where Nicodemus kind of gets a little flustered. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? In other words, it's like, whoa, Jesus, what are you saying? How is this possible? None of this makes sense to me. How can these things be? And so Dusty here, notice what he, Jesus answered, and said to him, Jesus fired right back, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? In other words, he's obviously not the same way that we do being born again, but Jesus is saying, given your position, given your place, given you know, who you are in this whole scheme of God's people, um, how is it that you're a teacher, a ruler of God's people and can't tell the difference between something that's spirit and flesh? Most assuredly, I say to you, let's keep pressing on, we're going to come back with some of this. Most assuredly, there he goes again, right? I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. It's like, hold on just a second, Jesus, you just took it to a whole nother level. He did, and we'll come back to that in just a minute. All right? Now, let me talk to you for a moment about the model of ministry that Nicodemus understood. And we've already mentioned it once in here, and we'll mention it again. The model of ministry, especially the model for supernatural ministry, um, remember, you know, prophets, 
were used to bring healing, physical healing. Prophets were used to multiply food supernaturally. Prophets were used even in raising the dead. Um, prophets were used in you know, all kinds of uh, like ruling and reigning over natural creation. Um, we don't have record of them walking on water, but we do have record of, of iron axe heads floating, um, them running faster than humanity can run, you know, things of this nature, all because a measure of God's Spirit was upon them, and that measure of God's Spirit was upon them would empower them to, to do miraculous works or to produce these kinds of signs. Now, that was the model that Nicodemus understood. That was the model that he was familiar with. Okay? Now, please, I, I know we're going fast tonight. This is, this is a key, key part of these, the entire 36 classes. Okay? So let's really, let's cinch it down tonight. Okay? All right, so, so this, is, this is the position or the perspective from which Nicodemus is trying to make sense of Jesus. Jesus He's trying to make Jesus fit that model. He's trying to make Jesus fit the mold, and Jesus isn't fitting the mold. Which can only potentially mean one thing. If he's not a prophet, but he's doing things that prophets do, he just might be the Messiah. This is going on in the back of Nicodemus' mind, right? Not sure about that yet, but he's trying to figure it out. And even one place, you know, they're going to ask, you know, when the, if, the, if he's not the Messiah, when the Messiah gets here, what more can he do than Jesus has done? I mean, for crying out loud, he raised a man from the dead whose body had already begun to decompose. I mean, what greater miracle, what greater sign, okay? Are you, are you following me? So this is what's kind of, you know, going on in, in the back of his mind. But Jesus is not fitting this model, Okay? It's because Jesus is not operating or ministering in the model of an Old Testament prophet. Why is that important? It's because we don't minister from that model um, either. Okay, in other words, we 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 are uh, our Jesus is our model for ministry. Can I say it that way? This simplified. Jesus is our example. He is our model for ministry. Right now, we've said this before, but I'm gonna say it again. Jesus said of John the Baptist, who, by the way, was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the last of that model. Okay? And his ministry is recorded in the opening pages of the New Testament. But remember, he made this statement, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. In other words, as Nicodemus faded out, Jesus was rising up, okay? So it was the closing of one chapter, the opening of a new, the closing of one dispensation, bracket of time, the beginning, the launching of a new. One order closing, new order opening. One day closing, new day opening. This was all transpiring in the overlap of John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus's. So John the Baptist was the last of a breed, are you following me? How many different ways can I say it? The last of a breed, Jesus was the beginning of a new breed. And we've been born of Him. Okay? Amen. So, Nicodemus is trying to make sense of the new order based on what he understood from the old order. 
And so when he says, we know you're from God because nobody can do the miracles that you do, but we know the prophets did similar things that you do. Are you a prophet? Are you a rabbi? Are you, what are you, right? Jesus says, you'll never see it unless you enter the kingdom. You'll, you'll, you'll never, uh, unless you're born again, rather, you'll never see the kingdom. I'll get it right. I'll get it straight here in a minute. Unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom. Now, I get excited here. Can I tell you exactly what Jesus just did? In other words, he answered Nicodemus' question without Nicodemus understanding the answer. Okay? He said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the signs, the miracles, are not because I'm a prophet. The miracles are happening because Father's kingdom is now here upon the earth. In other words, the miracles that were being produced were being produced because God's rule, God's reign, God's realm, God's resources, also known as God's kingdom, had come from three heavens away now upon the earth. So when he said you will never see, you, you will, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom, He's saying, Nicodemus, listen very carefully, this is important. He's saying, you're you're experiencing visible signs, thank you for helping me, Holy Spirit, visible signs from an invisible source. Okay? Let's go go to um, verse 8 again. Verse 8 again. All right? Jesus said, because he's, notice this isn't, Jesus isn't just like shotgun blasting Nicodemus with hard sayings. He's not just like trying to confuse him here. Every word that's coming out of Jesus' mouth is all related to Nicodemus trying to understand how Jesus is doing the things that he's doing. Okay? And so he says in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. Right? So, if I'm sitting in my house and I look outside and I see one of the trees um, out in my backyard moving back and forth like this, I don't jump up to go see if Bigfoot's at the bottom of that tree shaking it. Okay? I assume that the wind is blowing. Now, I can't see the wind but I can see the result produced by the wind. When we see the leaves or the branches on a tree moving about, what we're seeing is a visible result being produced by an invisible source. We can't see the wind, but we're seeing the effect that the wind is having upon the tree. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus... I'm producing visible miracles from a source you cannot see and you will never see unless you're born again. But if you are born again, you will not only see the source from which the miracles are coming, you will enter into and become a part of the source from which the miracles are coming and you will then become 
a source of those miracles through which Father can flow through in the earth. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Everyone who is born of the Spirit is capable of producing visible signs from an invisible source. Praise the name of the living God. Praise the name of the living God. Alright? Amen. Amen. Okay. Nicodemus answered and said, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you really a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Now, let's break down this part that really kind of almost makes you want to scratch your head. Okay? Like confused scratch your head. Most assuredly I say to you, we speak. Now, the we speak here obviously could be... um, By the way, I I said all that about John the Baptist while ago. I didn't say this part, but let let me say this part, okay? And we'll look at this. We'll look this verse up later. But the Holy Spirit's prompted me three times now. So so let me give you the verse, okay? Jesus said of John the Baptist, are you ready? He was the greatest prophet born of a woman. The greatest prophet born of a woman, but the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. That's Jesus speaking. That's not something I read in some book somebody wrote somewhere. That's Jesus speaking. The greatest prophet of the old order was John the Baptist, but the very least who's been born again and now in the kingdom is greater than the greatest prophet of the old system. So you've been here, you say, oh, Pastor Mark, I'm born again, but I've only been saved about 45 days, and I, you know, I don't even know if Luke's in the New Testament or the Old, and I, you know, all this stuff about talking in tongues, and I'm still, you know, I still, I cussed four times this week, and, and I, you know, I, you know, I don't know. So, no, again, so, so, all right, so you think you're the least in the kingdom. Guess what? Because you've been born of the Spirit, you're greater as the least in the new order than the greatest of the great in the old order. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, We speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. I'm pointing out the plural pronouns. Now, you could say that um, Jesus preached a certain message that he was given by God. John the Baptist preached a similar message that he was given by God. Jesus told his 12 disciples to preach that same message. And then he also sent out the first 70 missionary evangelists who also preached that message. And you could say, well, that's the we. I wouldn't have a problem with that, but if you read John, the Gospel of John, you know that Jesus made this statement when they accused him of being the only person who was saying what he was saying. See, in those days, you know, it was like if, you know, eight out of ten dentists surveyed. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's like the, if you could get a bunch of people to agree, then that would give it more credibility. And so they said, Jesus, you can't be right because you're the only one saying the things that you're saying. And Jesus said, well, I'm saying them, that's one, and my father is saying them, that's two. So, so when he says we, I believe that Jesus is saying He's saying these things and His Father. They're the we. 
Okay, you can add the Holy Spirit in the mix if you would like, all right? But let's break it down from there. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Can I give you the New Wisdom International Translation of that verse? Nicodemus, you ain't believed a word that's come out of my mouth yet. Right? Because remember, he wasn't there because Jesus is such a profound teacher. He was there because Jesus is doing miracles that he can't explain. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Again, can I give you the New Winslet International Translation of this verse? All right? Nicodemus, everything I've said up until now, there has been something in your world that I've been able to relate it to, and you still haven't listened to me or believed what I've said. So how are you ever going to believe me if I tell you something from my world that there's nothing in your world I can compare it to? See, up until this point, Jesus taught by what? Comparables, parables. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he'd tell a story about a woman who lost a coin. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he'd tell a story about a man who had two sons. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he'd tell a man a story about a man who bought a vineyard. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he'd tell a story about a, a farmer who planted some seeds. In other words, he's, he's using something in our world to teach us something from his, and he's telling us something in our world that it compares to, to get us closer to taking the step of faith into believing the truth from His world. But everything from Jesus' world does not have something in our world to compare it to. And so, again, what is the question? The question is, how are you doing these miracles? Jesus says, unless you're born again, you'll never see. But if you're born of water and the Spirit, you'll enter in. Wind blows where it wishes. You hear it, see what it does, but you don't know where it comes from. Visible results from invisible source. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay? Praise the name of the living God. I didn't turn my page here. How can these things be? So you're a teacher in Israel and don't know. And by the way, I know that you haven't believed anything I've said yet, and everything I've said up until this point there's been something in your world I can compare it to. So how are you going to believe if I tell you something from my world that there's nothing in your world to compare it to? Okay? Now, why am I, why am I belaboring this? It's because this is the only way Jesus can answer this man's question. It's the only way that Jesus can legitimately answer. Now, thank God, I, we know later in the book of John that, you know, Nicodemus, I believe Nicodemus was part of the early church, born-again man. We see him defending Jesus. We see him there at Jesus' death, caring for his body, all these other things, okay? But whether or not Nicodemus got this or not, at least on this day, thank God that it was recorded for you and me. It was recorded for you and me, okay? Now, thank you, Jesus. So he's about to tell him something that there's nothing in our world that we can relate it to to assist in the understanding. All right? I know, I know and it's, please, we don't take a break, so if you have to get up, that sort of thing, but it's like, I'll, almost like, okay, I'm going to stall if they get back because they don't need to miss this, but i got to keep going, all right? So, amen. He says this to Nicodemus. No one has ascended to heaven. Ascend means to go up. Okay, 
No, man, you got it. Come on, tighten that chin strap. Let's, amen. You ready? No one has ascended to heaven, but He, capital H, speaking of Jesus, He who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Alright, so again. No one's gone up, but He who's came down, but He who came down, the same one who's there right now. No one's gone, but He who came and is there right now. Are you, are you getting this? What was Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you're looking at me standing here on this earth, but I'm not just connected to this earth. I'm connected to earth and I'm connected to heaven at the same time. I'm here, but while I'm here, I'm there, and while I'm there, I'm here. I'm here and I'm doing miracles because while I'm here, I'm also seated there. And because I've ascended there and seated there, and I also happen to still be here at the same time, I've got heaven by one hand, and I've got this earth by the other hand, and I'm able to become a portal through which the resources of my Father's kingdom can pass from the heavenly realm through me into this earthly realm. I'm here, but I'm there. And I'm there, but I'm here. I'm touching two worlds at the same time. And I'm not just talking about Jesus any longer. I'm talking about so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Every person in this room is here, but while you're here, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that you're seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. You're here and you're there at the same time, which puts you in a unique position to be able to touch two worlds at the same time. That's why you have what people need on planet earth, not because of earthly resources, but because of the kingdom of heaven that you're a citizen of and connected to, and now that kingdom has been placed inside of you. That's why you can lay your hands on sick people and sick people recover. That's why Jesus was able to lay His hands on sick people and sick people recover. Not because He had been given a measure of God's Spirit like the Old Testament prophet. He had been given God's Spirit without measure and it was the rule of God, the reign of God, the authority of God, the resources of God all here upon planet earth and it was from those resources Jesus was ministering what He was ministering. Jesus said it this way, if you see me casting out devils with the finger of God, it can only mean one thing. Not that another prophet has risen among you, but that the kingdom of God is now present upon planet earth. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're getting somewhere now. Are you with me? So visible results from an invisible source. Do you see now why Jesus prayed to God the Father in John 17? Don't take them out of this planet. Don't take them off this planet. Leave them here, but keep them, protect them, set them apart, sanctify them by the truth. Our word is truth, right? Because what we are in this unique position to touch heaven and earth at the same time. Amen. So, let's go back to our statement. Are we here to escape the world? Are we here to be like the world? Are we here to change the world? You see, so many times people look at Christianity 
as God's way of getting them from earth to heaven. And if you're born again, it's not that you're, you know, everybody's like, could we just go ahead and lose it right now, this whole idea of, you know, everything in our lives, every choice in our life being about heaven or hell as far as can we do this and go to hell or, or go, go to heaven or go to hell. Please, let's move on past that for a minute already, okay? If you're born again, you're already in heaven. You're already seated there. And the more your mind is renewed to that, the more you're going to get the junk out of your life while you're here on this earth and get excited about why you're still here. And not with the Father who can't wait for you, who's so excited to have you there with Him. Alright? So I'm asking you to reverse what the common belief about Christianity and salvation is all about. It's not about getting you from earth to heaven. It's about getting heaven into you and through you into the earth. You see the difference there? Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father. Jesus' dad's my dad too. Our Father who art in heaven. Where are we? Well, we're praying. We're here, but He's in heaven. But we're here and there with Him as well. So Pastor Mark, I don't, how can I be there and here at the same time? See, again, there's nothing on this. That, that's something straight up spiritual. There's no... I mean, there you, you know... Trinity, we use H2O, solid liquid vapor, three forms of water, all three God, and it just gets us close. It doesn't really get us there, all the way there. There's really, you know, two places at the same time, but again, spirit, spirit, spirit. See, there's the real use of spirit inside of you. Amen. Amen. Not bound by time and space. <laughs> so it's like, you know, again, the Bible says it this way by faith we understand. By faith we understand. By faith we understand. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven. That needs to become, I think it was always meant to be, the battle cry of the church. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Well, go with me to Ephesians 2. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to, we're not even going to touch on this, we're going to church on it. <laughs> and church is just a, a brief touch, all right? But I, I want to show you. We'll come back to this at a later date. And, um, and we'll look at it in greater detail, okay? Well, I just, I, I was going to tell you to start at verse 4, but let's start at verse 1. And you, all right, so, who? You, me, right? And you, He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We weren't just sick. We weren't just spiritually sick. We were dead. In which you once walked, trespasses and sins, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, in the sons, the offspring of disobedience. 
among whom also we all once conducted, notice past tense, it's not us anymore, amen? It's not us anymore, amen? Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of damnation, just as every other person, just as the others. But God. Somebody say, but God. But God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. But God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. But God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In parentheses, he has this important statement, By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together from the dead, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Who remembers this verse? For we are His poem. We are His poem. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, so there is a name for this doctrine. It's called, are you ready? It's called salvation. <laughs> it's called salvation, right? Now in classes to come, we're going we're gonna to join together two beautiful teachings from the Scriptures, and that's what the Bible teaches about salvation and what it means to be saved and how that dovetails with also what Jesus said in other places we find in Scriptures about being born again. Okay? I'll give you a clue. The Bible says that, we looked at it last week, Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. So when we were born, we were born from the womb of death, raised to newness of life, seated together with Him in heavenly places. Now if you take this and drag it back to John 3, you, you see very clearly how this, again, meshes with what Jesus was saying when he said, you can't see it unless you're um, born again, and unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. But it's the kingdom that's producing the results. And he was on the earth in heaven at the same time. We're on the earth in heaven at the same time. Okay? Yes? All right. Now, um... Oh, thank you, Father. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thank you, Lord. You get anything out of this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and um, we'll begin in a moment at verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, one of the things that I think it goes without saying, but I want to make sure we say it, okay? Because we're fixing to turn a corner. Um, discipleship is about a lot of things. But if we just wanted to simplify it, we would say it's about growth. It's about growth. 
It's about growing up into Jesus. It's about growing up into our destiny. It's about growing up into who we've already become in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, amen. And the Bible uses as a parallel or as a, as a comparable, um, it uses the three stages of physical growth, development, maturity, to um, help us better understand, I guess, um, what spiritual growth, development, maturity looks like. And, of course, those three stages of growth, development, maturity are the stages of um, infancy, baby, um, childhood, and then adulthood. So you have a baby, you have a child, and then you have a full-grown adult. And the, Bible, and the Bible talks about the Bible talks about those who are as spiritual babies, those who are as spiritual children, and those who are as spiritually mature adults. Discipleship is God's growth development program. Amen. In other words, discipleship is what He uses to help grow us up into the things that He has for us. Now, listen to me, please. Some of you maybe have not been born again for very long, um, and you're a spiritual baby. It's okay. All right? It's okay. You, you, you got to, what do they say, you got to crawl where you can walk? Um, there are things that you're hearing in these classes that it may be a little while before you are able to chew it up and, and, and uh, digest it. Okay? That's all right, though. It's, it's, it's right here for you. Amen. The Holy Spirit is is our teacher, and um, as, as this word goes out, he's teaching each one of you individually as he teaches us all collectively, yes? Okay, all right. Um, that's why if you ever read a verse like, and you got something out of it, and you read the same verse three years later, and it's like, how did I not see that? It's, you've grown, right? You're, you're hearing on another level now. You're hearing things that you haven't heard before. I shared this on a Wednesday night not too long ago. Keith Moore was talking about listening to one of Brother Hagin's old, it was an old... Uh, what was before VHS and VCR? What was beta? It was an old beta. I mean, that's how, that's how old this thing was. And Brother Hagen was teaching on healing, and he was just so amazed by the teaching. He, he pulled out his pad and started taking notes. And he, if, you don't know any, if you don't know this, Keith Moore worked for Brother Hagen. He taught in that same healing school for more than a decade. And um, he's like, how in the world, you know, did I, have I never heard this man teach on this, right? And... Um, a little while later, the camera panned to the audience, and there sat a young Keith Moore on the front row taking notes. <laughs> right? And he's like, wait a second, Father. And he says, you've grown, son. That's just a simple answer. You've grown. You're hearing on another level now. Okay? See, part of the reason I get so excited after 14 years of teaching this is I've heard things tonight that I've taught before that I didn't hear like I heard tonight. <laughs> Are you understand what I'm saying? That's why the Lord, and it's been hard for me, but I say it's been hard for me. It hadn't been that hard. It didn't take me long to get obedient. Um, Lord told me to start listening to some of my own sermons. And I'm sitting there listening to them, and it's like I'm listening to somebody else. I know it sounds crazy. It's like I'm listening to somebody else. I'm like, my goodness gracious. And then it's like, I, I have to watch myself, Chris, because then the next time I preach, I want to say what I've already said that I didn't hear when I said it to make sure everybody else heard it. I'm like, 
I was just, I was just like, I was, I was just this guy preached the other day, and this is what he said. You know, I'm like, I was the guy, and you were here, but amen. So that's why some people taking this class eight times. I, you know, I mean, some of the alums that are in the room, you, I hope you're hearing things that you never heard before. You know, uh, from time to time, sister, sister Betty comes, she'll say, you know, the. You talk about what she got out of the class. I'm like, sister, you've been here three years now. You heard me say it. But again, it's, she's right. Amen. It wasn't that she was dozed off when I was taught that two years ago, right? It's, amen. It's the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. And we're growing. So if you're a spiritual babe, it's okay. What's not okay is to remain a spiritual babe. Amen. We've got to grow. As much as I enjoyed my children as babies, I was really, really excited when they started using the bathroom on their own. And my wife changed most of the diapers, but I did change a few. I was really excited because, you know, there were things that I wanted to experience and enjoy with my children that I, you know, I couldn't throw a baseball at John Mark when he was a baby. He had to grow up into that, right? So even then there are things that, that I had prepared for him that I wanted to enjoy and experience with him. But until he grew up into that, it was just, it wasn't going to happen. And that's the same with us. I mean, there are things that Father God has prepared for you, right? My children drive automobiles now. They didn't drive them when they were four years old. Wasn't that I was being a bad dad by not letting them drive. I was being a good dad by withholding things from them that were certainly in their future, but they had to grow up into. And we started telling them, look, that, just because you're 16 don't mean you get the keys to the car, right? There's more to driving a car at the Winslet, at, at the Winslet household than being old enough to drive one. we got to trust you to drive one. So that's a whole other side to it, right? Amen, right? So the same is true with our Heavenly Father. He's got so much more for us. The best of us, you know, is still ahead of us. But there are things that we, we've got to mature uh, in order for Him to be able to, to bless us with or else His blessing will not be a blessing. If I put John Mark behind the wheel of my truck when he was eight years old, that would have not have been a blessing to him or anybody else. He wasn't ready for it. And sometimes we think God's holding out on us. Man, He's freely given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. We just some things we've got to grow up into. But I've also got some good news for you too. There's also some things we need to grow out of. Some things we need to grow out of. And, and so thank God we can grow out. Of, that's, that really and truly is the answer to long-term lifetime recovery. Just grow out of it. Just grow out of it already, right? And so again, that's, that's, that's not to beat anybody up. i got a lot of growing to do. I, I, if you, Paul, when you consider all that Paul had accomplished, and yet at, at the end of his life he's saying, I've not yet arrived. If I've, only, if I've mastered one thing, it's forget what's behind me and reach for what's ahead of me. Yeah, so in other words, this idea that we've reached the end. What, remember that commercial a while back? The guy, you know, he was sitting there just, just almost numbly surfing the Internet, and he, he popped up on the screen and says, you have now reached the end of the Internet. You're not ever going to reach the end of it, right? And, 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 get, and God is even more vast than the Internet. So we, there's always room for us to grow and mature and develop, right? So those who are as spiritual babes, those who are as spiritual children, those who are as spiritually mature adults. One of my favorite passages along this line, we're not, I'm just trying to prepare you for where we're going. You've got to turn there right now. But, but in Galatians 4 and 1, he, he talks about those 
who are princesses, prince and princesses, rulers in this life, but they're living like slaves because they're still like, like a child. They're as a, spirit, they're as a spiritual child, and because they're, as long as they're a child, they're going to live like a slave even though they're Lord of all, is what the King James Version says. So I don't tell you that to bash you. I'm telling you that to encourage you. Because, right, let, let's do this. How many of you, if it's not you yet, it will be you soon in Jesus' name, but how many of you are finding yourself responding more positively when facing similar situations compared to how you used to respond That's called growth. That's called growth. Right? And you like you look back at it and you go, man, I, oh my gosh, I remember how I used to respond when I would be faced with this stuff like this. You know, so childish, right? Okay, again, that's growth. And good news, we can continue to grow. I like, I like to, um, to maybe look at it this way. When, when you're a baby, you're completely dependent on everybody else for what you need to grow. When you become a child, you, you can at least pick up the food and put it in your mouth, but you still need somebody else to prepare it for you. But as you progress into adulthood, you're then able to not only prepare a meal for yourself, you're able to prepare it for and feed it to somebody else. Okay? Now, I'm going I'm to simplify this because I'll tell you where a lot of people, they get stuck somewhere between baby and child. In Hebrews 5, he talks about a whole group of people who had been saved long enough, been born again long enough to be leaders in the local church, but they still needed somebody to, to, to prepare a meal for them and feed it to them. They still needed milk and were not yet in a position to digest um, the stronger meat of the Word. So just because you've been saved a long time doesn't mean you're a mature spiritual adult. In other words, we talked about those who maybe have only been born again or only been like really serious, committed to God you know, a brief period of time. But look, you know, you could know somebody that's been born again 40 years and you'd be more mature than them at this point. Amen. So I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just telling you, you know, um, sometimes we get really frustrated and upset with other Christians and, you know, don't judge them. Don't be hard on them. It's, they're just, they either haven't grown or need to grow. Amen. That's why the Bible says don't compare ourselves, don't judge. Amen. But if you never progress from everything being done for you to you doing things for yourself, then you're not, you're not going to grow physically, and it translates over. But that's just what's required to go from being a spiritual baby to a spiritual child. Can I tell you why so many people remain spiritually as children in the body of Christ today? It's because they learn just enough from God and about God to get what they need from Him for themselves. And we think that's spiritually mature. No, it's not. So until we make the next step, what's the next step? The next step is serving other people. Doing for others. You know, as long as it's just about me and what I need, what I want, what I got to have, blah, blah, blah. See, I'm, 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 that's going to lock me in 
and, and put a, a ceiling that I will never break through unless I shift over to getting my eyes off myself in, into serving somebody else. But when I do that, now you break through. You, you start experiencing tremendous growth again. Remember those sad statistics about 40% of folks have no interest whatsoever in any kind of ministry in the local church. You know what that's called? Perpetual childhood. Because you're not going to grow. It, it, until you're willing to take that next step of service, of ministry, you're going to be locked in to being as a spiritual child, which means living as a slave, even though you could be, should be, ruling and reigning in life. Amen? Alright. I think I have um, gone long enough without giving you this basic understanding. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is an epistle. Okay? And that's just a really fancy word for, for a letter, like a written letter. Um, you know, days of email and all that stuff, we don't do a lot of letter writing anymore, but some people still do. Okay? So, this is the second letter that Paul wrote to the churches in general, the church that we're all a member of, and to the church at Corinth in particular. That's why it's called Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was his second letter to the church at Corinth. Now these letters were uh, passed around to all the churches and you know, the ones that we have made it into the canon of Scripture into our God's holy word and they were inspired by God. I'll show you that here in just a moment. Now, when we look at the New Testament, we see the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four Gospels contain the, the story of Jesus. That's generally speaking the story of Jesus. They also include for us what Jesus both began, keyword there, began, to do and to teach. When we say began to do, it brings us back to that question we looked at last week. Who will declare His generation? When Jesus died on the cross, He said, It is finished, not I am finished. And we see that His purposes are now prospering in our hands. As God the Father sent Him, He sent us. So that's why it's what He both began to do and what He began to teach. Now, towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, when He was about to be crucified, He said this to His disciples, and of course to you and me. He said, there are still many things I have to teach you, but you cannot bear them now. I think this goes back to the point that Dusty was making earlier. There were things that they would never be able to understand until they were born again and had the Holy Spirit living in them. Okay? He said, there are still many things that I have to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. That doesn't mean that Jesus could not have taught them 
that doesn't mean that they could have not taken notes from Jesus' teaching and then regurgitate, repeat those notes back to Jesus. But that's not what Jesus was talking about here. To bear them would mean to take the ball and run with it. They were not ready for that yet. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit's coming, and when He comes, He will lead you and guide you into all truth. So that's why He both began to do, began to teach. So the four Gospels, to simplify it, and you know me, I like to simplify it. The four Gospels tell us what Jesus did, what He said, what He did, tells us you know, what He did in the sense that, and I'm talking really simple and general now, His death on the cross, His, uh, well let's go back to virgin birth, sinless life, death on the cross, His burial, His resurrection, and His return back to the Father. Now anything that you understand about why He did it, you understand it because something in the epistles made that clearer for you. We take that for granted because we, we can't... Stay with me now. I'm, I'm muddying this up. And I'm not trying to. I'm trying to make this simple. Let, let, me just, let me cut to the chase, all right? The Gospels tell us what He did. The epistles tell us why He did it and what it means to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So the Gospels tell us what Jesus did. Obviously, His teachings, His miracles, okay? But see, even His teachings, even His miracles were case studies for us, examples for us, training for us. I mean, there, there were two mass feedings. There were two um, life-threatening storms. It's not just, that's not just different gospel writers telling stories different ways. You see, like, they're contained, both are contained in one gospel. And then even with the multiple feedings, Jesus combines them, and He, and he says, do you not remember we fed this many with this many, and fish and loaves, and we, then we fed this many with this many. Why are you still worried about what you're going to eat? So again, it wasn't just Jesus showing off. It wasn't just Jesus feeling sorry for hungry people. It was Jesus being a blessing. It was Jesus showing us, I didn't mean that in an arrogant way, it was Jesus showing us what He was capable of doing, but He's also showing us what we're capable of doing. And so, in one you see Jesus rebuke the storm, and in the other one you see Him asleep in the boat. Because He was trying to reproduce in them what He did and of course, when they didn't, he took care of it, and then rebuked them for being of little faith. So when we say all that what he did, it's it's not just to wow us, it's it's also to how us, to teach us how. But then we come over into the letters, and, the, and this is where we have the explanation of Jesus' sinless life and, and what His death on the cross has now translated into 
doing in our lives. We would, we would never have imagined in our wildest dreams based on what he told Nicodemus that we're seated together with him in heavenly places. Can you imagine if we had negotiated this deal with God? I had a Holy Ghost experience today with, with some real estate folks. Beautiful people love Jesus. And uh, they asked me to pray. I didn't go in there guns blazing. They asked me to pray for them, and I gladly did. But um, I'm selling a piece of property. It turns out I was going to sell it for less than what it's worth. See, somebody that knows, somebody that did the market research, thank you, Jesus. All right. Can you imagine us saying something like this? Look, Jesus, you either fix it where we can sit with you on your throne or don't even bother with saving us. <laughs> so we, we, we had never in a million years, right? It's like, if anything that keeps me out of hell, sign me up. Right? You know, I mean... So we would have never gathered just based... But, now notice, you take what Jesus said in John 3, you go over to Ephesians 2, and, and you see how... Wow, okay, wow. Most assuredly now, I see why you said it most assuredly, Jesus. Kind of hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? So, we will reference back to the Gospels... And we will even go over back into the Old Testament. We're not done with the Old Testament by any stretch. But a lot, of, a lot of where we're going to grow from is the epistles. Because they're, they're going to bring it home for you. They're, they're, they're going to show you how to take this ball and run with it. Jesus knew everything that was going to be in the book of Romans when he stood there that day and told the disciples, look, there's so many things, guys, but you're not ready yet. You're not, you're not, you can't, you can't chew this up and digest it yet. But the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to help you and then he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. Jesus knew every word to be in the book of Hebrews. Right? And he had that in the back of his mind when he made that statement. Well, thank God we live in a day now where these things have been written and the Holy Spirit has been poured out and sin has been taken away. And so we certainly have obstacles, but nothing compared to what those folks had. Now, let's begin at verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Let me say that these verses provide the foundation for these 36 classes. Okay? And in years past, we've class one, day one, first passage, open your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't know how many years now we've done it a bit different, but we've done it a bit different. So here we are, class seven. I'm, I'm telling you this only because I'm, I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to impress upon you the importance 
of the words that we're about to look at, okay? For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live, somebody pull that door to, or thank you, Brian. Or they may not know we've got class going on in here. Thank you, Jesus. All right. We're going to take it from the top. Verse 14. I'm sure I'm the only one who was distracted by that, but amen. And if you're watching by video and wondering what's going on, somebody was talking Natalie out in the hallway. All right. Verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one, capital O in my Bible, should be in yours, speaking of Jesus, that if Jesus died for all, then all died. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, in light of this, from now on, from this point forward, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself, through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the Baptists to Himself. Reconciling the Pentecostals to Himself. Reconciling just those who've been born again to Himself. Is that what it says? The world reconciling all the world to Himself, not imputing. I'm trying to read it without commenting, but it is so, so challenging. Praise God. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Wow. So you say, Pastor Mark, 36 classes are based on this right here? Absolutely. Really, 36 is all we have time for. In other words, we could, we, could, we could go another year and not teach the same thing. Because what we have here are several key truths, teachings, doctrines, whatever you want to call them, all intersecting, all being mentioned, all being condensed in for the purpose of you 
and me seeing not just what those individual things are, but how they all are related, how they are each connected, and what one has to do with the other. Did you notice that we use the word therefore a couple of times? Did you notice that we use the word now or now then a couple of times? Because what he's doing with that is, because this is true, this is true. And because this is true, this is true. And because this is true, now this is true. And because now this is true, now this is true. He's bringing several things together in this place and showing you a picture that is very beautiful. Amen. That, that, that is, amen, a picture of you. A picture of what God has done for you, in you, and what He desires to do through you. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Let's, um, mm -mm -mm. where does the time go? We got about 10 minutes. You got 10 minutes? Okay. <laughs> I get 20, 20, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 25, 25, 20 minutes. Okay. I want to I start back over at verse 14. But before I do that, let's, let's go to verse 18. And the last part of verse 18 says, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? You may not even know what the word reconciliation means, but as a born-again believer, the ministry of reconciliation has been given to you. You were born of God's Spirit, born again a minister of reconciliation. You have been so thoroughly reconciled to God that you now have become an agent of Him for the purpose of seeing others reconciled to God. Anything God does in you, He wants to do through you. So when you're born again, Father wants to use you to see other people born again. And that's why we said it takes a disciple to make a disciple and He told us to go make disciples. When someone prayed with you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with initial evidence of speaking in an unknown tongue, He then intended for you to go and minister that to other people. Amen. So you've been reconciled to God and have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Along with that in verse 19, it says He's committed to you the word of reconciliation. In other words, that's your, the chief instrument, if you will. That's, that's your advantage. That's, that's um, praise God, what you are to use strategically to be an effective minister of reconciliation. And he says, because of this now, you're an ambassador. The United States government has ambassadors all over the world. And they represent our government and our government's interest, our country's interests in those lands. You've been so thoroughly reconciled to God that you've been given the ministry of reconciliation and He has entrusted into your care His Word, which is the Word of Reconciliation, so that now you are an ambassador representing 
the kingdom of God on foreign soil. We're aliens here. We're strangers here. We're, this is not our home. This is not our homeland. We've become ambassadors for God's kingdom. And notice, when we speak His words to others, it's as if God Himself is speaking through you to them, imploring them to be reconciled to God. Wow. Now, let's go back to verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. What we have here is something that we will unpack over several weeks in classes to come. But he's talking about, big word like mayonnaise, are you ready? The substitutionary work of Jesus. What that simply means is Jesus came to this earth as our substitute. If you remember in school, your teacher was absent, you would have a substitute, somebody who would stand in for your teacher. Jesus came as a substitute for us. He became poor so we could become rich. He became sick so we could become healed. He became weak so we could become strong. He became our sin so we could become His righteousness. Are you following what I'm saying? That's substitute. He died. He was punished so you wouldn't have to be punished. He stepped in your place and did for you what He did for you. So, that's the love of God, Romans 5 says, demonstrated. Demonstrated. Okay? Now, before I go too far down that road, when he says that it is the love of Christ that compels us because we judge thus. He says we've judged. Don't think like judge, like guilty, not guilty. He's, judge here means to reach a conclusion, to come to the verdict. And the conclusion of the verdict that He's come to by the Holy Spirit is that when Jesus died for all, then, then we all died. This is, this is not going to make as much sense to you now as it will in the days ahead. But I'm just trying to show you that it's not just that Jesus died for you, He died as you. And to be in Christ, literally, we died with Him. Okay? Substitute in every way. Now, we've got just a minute. Let me finish here. This word in the New King James translated compels. That's really, um, it's not strong enough. That's a weak translation of what this word really means, the, the, the gut meaning of this word. King James does a better job here. Constraineth. Thank you, brother. Constrains. Okay? Let me break that word down for you. And again, the, when I say New Windsor International Translation, I'm just talking about putting this in, in my words. Okay? Paul is saying his understanding of Jesus' love has left him no other option. It, he's like, you know, he talks about this in Ephesians. Receiving a revelation of the full dimension of God's love that goes beyond comprehension. Strengthened by might with God's Spirit in the inner man to understand the depth, the length, the width, the breadth, the full dimension of God's love for us. 
Paul had received such a revelation, such an understanding of the vast love of God for all humanity that it compelled him, it constrained him, it left him no other option but to do what he was doing. In other words, love is what motivated him. The love that Jesus had for him, yes. But he then realized that the same love that God had for him as an individual, he had for every human being who would ever live. Yes, indeed. Now, I want to leave you with this example. If you've been to a bowling alley lately, they've, they have a new feature now, most of the modern bowling alleys, I guess all of modern bowling alleys, where you can push a button and it'll put bumpers up that will make it impossible for you to go in the gutter. Now, I think it's supposed to be for small children, but amen. Now, why? I, I was asking the Lord, and I, I really believe that He gave me this, um, you know, mental picture. What Paul was saying is that it, it wasn't the threat of punishment. It, it wasn't, um, you know, the threat of, of being condemned to hell. It wasn't eternal damnation. It, it wasn't, um, you know, fear or shame or guilt that compelled him to live as he lived. He said that he had become so overwhelmed with an understanding of the love that God had for him that it had become like those bumpers and even when he tried to veer off course, the love of God constrained him back towards the destination. The love of Christ would bounce him back into the center and, and, and propel him onward in the destiny and purpose for which God had created him. It was the love of God that motivated him to live a pure life. It was the love of God that motivated him to serve others. It was, the, it was his understanding of the love of God and, and the vastness of that love and what the sacrifice of Jesus meant not just to the Jewish people, but to all peoples, right? This was what had gripped his heart and this is what compelled him to live as he lived and to serve as he served. The prayer tonight for all of us is that his love will grip our hearts that way. John has a version of this in 1 John. He says that consider the love that would enable us to be called sons of God. Those who have hope in them because of this love will purify their lives even as Christ is pure. Even as Christ is pure. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for the men and women in this room. And Father, once again, I thank you in advance for all of the countless numbers of men and women that these men and women will minister to. The difference in the thousands upon thousands of lives that will be made because these men and women have sacrificed of themselves to come and be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Because they're learning what it means to touch two worlds at the same time and to step out in faith 
on that spiritual truth from your kingdom. So Father, I impart blessing to these men and women now. Father, you said that you reward those who diligently seek you. Father, you have been present and a witness to all 14 years of these classes and you see, Lord, the diligence represented here seven classes in. Such a beautiful thing. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for loving us enough to save us. But also, Father, for loving us enough to not leave us as you found us. To be so patient, to be so kind. Father, you've always believed the best about me. You've always said good things, and and your word says you've always thought precious thoughts over each one of us. Help us, Father. Help us, Father, to live as one with you. In Jesus' name, amen.